We are back for another podcast, and we are enjoying some majestic Blacktail Old Smokes coffee. This is premium blend Old Smokes coffee. The majestic Blacktail is a dark roast, and uh, there's just nothing like Old Smokes coffee. So go to oldsmokes.com and use the promo code NONTYPICAL for a wicked discount. Okay, guys, predator season is here. Check out Smith Game Calls for your predator calls. They've got diaphragm calls, open read calls, closed read calls. They've got bite and blow calls as well. So they've got something for everybody. Check out Smith Game Calls and use promo code NONTYPICAL for a wicked discount. It's the holiday season and everybody likes, everybody loves to get a knife for Christmas. I know I do. If you guys are looking for a custom knife, if you can dream it, T-Rex Knives can build it. Place an order with T-Rex Knives, you know, in the next day or two, and you're probably going to get that knife in early New Year's. But Joe is a good friend of ours, and he's always up for a challenge. So if you can dream it, T-Rex can build it. Mention Non-Typical Nation, and he's going to give you a wicked discount. This is the Non-Typical Nation podcast with your host, Brody Teal and Eric Labrie. Let's talk hunting and absolutely everything else that goes with it. All right, everybody, we are back for another podcast. We are midway through December here, and uh, it's good to be back. Yeah, you betcha. What are we at today? What is the date? December 10th. Today is the 10th. We are recording. Yeah, we're recording on the 10th December tonight. 10th, right on. Yeah, time is flying by. Yeah, flying we by. We have been so freaking busy around here, it's unreal. Um, holiday season's creeping up. Holiday season is creeping up, man, and it's always, you know, when when Christmas time is creeping up, we're trying to get as much as we can done before Christmas, and um, the days are just flying by. I'm hoping to squeeze in a hunt next week, so I'm just trying to trying to get as much as I can done before then. But um, yeah, it's coming quick, man. It's coming quick. It's always crunch time in some sort of way. That's so true. That's so true. But hey, that uh, keeps the train on the tracks and we just keep going and keep going on chugging. and going. So yeah, on this podcast, guys, we um, last podcast or two podcasts ago, we sent out, uh, we, we did a contest. We wanted you guys to send us your most memorable hunting stories. We've got some incredible stories um, I, I want to share all of them with you, but we probably won't. Um, we actually, so we, we picked a winner and, uh, the story he's going to share with us is just absolutely incredible. Um, we wanted to do justice. To yeah. We, story. we knew we were going to butcher it. So yeah. we figured, you know, we butcher our own stories as it is. <laughs> we figured we better have him on and he can tell his own story and then we can sort of get into it and, uh. You know, ask some questions, figure it out, and uh, it's it's a hell of a story. Yeah, so we're gonna we're gonna bring this guy onto the podcast today. Here, guys, we're also gonna talk about our most memorable moments from this 2020 hunting season, and um, in, of all time too. You know, we'll yep. we'll dive into that sort of topic, um, and we've got another giveaway. We're gonna stick with this, uh, you know, sort of memorable moments of your hunting season. Um, and what we are going to do, we're going to run another contest. We want you guys to send us a photo of you hunting with good friends or your, your family. And um, we just, you know, times are crazy right now. There's a whole bunch of negativity. 
with with everything that's going on in the news and corona and everything else it's just a shit show right now it's 2020 coming to an end and hopefully you know hopefully there's some change <sighs> hopefully coming. when that calendar flips everything changes that's but new year um so yeah what we want you guys to do is send us you know a story and a photo of a memorable moment you had with family and friends in the outdoors that's yeah. what it's all about. That's man. what it's all about. You know, some of my most memorable moments were with my kids or my wife or my, you know, my father, my brother. And I'm sure same goes with you. Yeah, we did a, you know, I I was I was a part of a few of your family hunts yeah. and I did quite a bit of hunting this year with my family more than I have in the past few years because, you know, I was fortunate one way not to be guiding this year. I was able to hunt with family. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's what we want to see. You know, if you got a selfie with uh with your family or your friends while you're out hunting or if you got a trophy photo uh send us a story to go with it and yeah and you know even if you weren't successful just share us a share a photo and tell us a little bit about your guys's hunt and and why you're you're maybe getting your brother into hunting or why he's getting you into hunting or whatever because you know um times like these family is so important and uh you know, when we can get out in the outdoors and experience these incredible moments, it's awesome when we get to experience it by ourselves. But when you have someone else with you, it is just that much more special. Especially somebody you're close to, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's that's why I got into filming, because my family didn't necessarily hunt. So I was experiencing all these crazy moments. And I'm like, man, I got to capture these on film so I can share it with them. And now we're at the point where I can bring them with me and they they tag on a few. And yeah, we've made some great memories. So yeah, send us those stories, guys. Send us some photos. Um, we did get some stories from you guys submitted where you had your family involved or, you know, son-in-laws or sons or whatever it was. And those were great. So just resend them because we got a pile of them. Send us photos. And what we're going to do, we're going to feature one story on the next podcast. Um, the winner is going to get one of our multi-pack of uh, the non-typical nation seasoning. And we're also going to give you some non-typical nation gear. But rather than us picking out clothing for you, we're going to give you an $80 store credit to the non-typical nation shop at nontypical.org. And you can use that for whatever you want. So you'll get a promo code. It'll work uh, super easy. And um, yeah, all you got to do is send us a story, send us a photo and do it quick as soon as you hear this, because we are going to uh, feature it on the next podcast. That's right. Yeah. So you got, uh, you know, you got about a, a week, 10 days. Um, you know, if we if we do end up doing another podcast right away, we'll sort of. Yeah, you know, I'm looking at the calendar one, right but, now. Uh, and I was sort of thinking that because we're at, what are we at? We're at the 10th, right? That's right. Uh, oh, this is November. Jesus. Yeah, we're looking at the wrong calendar. So Thursday and I'm gone on Wednesday. So we might not record one for about 10 days, 11 there days. There you go. So that, but once this is released, you'll probably have a week. That's right. So waste no time. Do it now. And uh, yeah, we love hearing the stories. That's why we thought we would basically run this contest again. For sure. So. Okay. Now, the the guy we're bringing on today, he's had an incredible season. He's an avid sheep hunter. He's killed an antelope this year. They've got elk. They've got deer. And um, the story he's going to tell is going to knock your socks off. It's something else. And uh, again, I just couldn't do it justice. So we're going to bring him on. Uh, let's welcome Bjorn Bonjean. Hello. Hey, how you doing, Bjorn? Good, man. How you guys doing? Awesome, awesome, awesome. So uh, we got you on, and uh, we just did a bit of an introduction to you, and uh, you've had quite the season. The story you shared us knocked my socks off, and uh, we had to have you on because I just I couldn't do it justice. 
cool, man. I'm glad to share it, I guess. So. <laughs> <laughs> right on, right on. So, yeah, thanks so much for submitting it, man. You won uh, a few bags of Adler Obsession. We're going to send you a non-typical nation decal as well. So we'll get that sent off in the mail to you. And, uh, yeah, we appreciate it big time. And just even coming on here and sharing it with everyone, it means a lot. Yeah, no problem. Actually, some of those pictures that I sent you of uh, the, the nighttime photos there that I got him in velvet, that's yeah. him chewing on an antler obsession right there. Nice. Right on, so. <laughs> which which product were you using? Were you using the attractant or the supplement? Uh, the supplement. The supplement, yeah, you betcha. Right on, man. That's awesome. Um, yeah. So you've had quite the hunting season, though, as it is. Aside from this crazy whitetail hunt, you've had quite the season. Yeah, with COVID going on, I had a little extra time this year, like things with the, like I run a family business here with, with my family and whatever, and so sales were down, uh, market events and all that were down, so I just had more time to get out in the field, and I managed to fill a whole bunch of tags and make sure that the freezers are full for the farm here, and then my brother's family, my sister's family, and then we got a close family friend that we, we help out as well. So Awesome. It's been good. Perfect. Right on. That's awesome. So what we're doing on this podcast is we're actually running a similar contest to that last one. So we're asking everyone to submit a story and a photo of their most memorable moments hunting with family. So yours actually ties right into it, basically. And um, yeah, let's dive into that. So you start from the very beginning. Um, tell us, you know, wh- how you first found out that found this whitetail and basically how the season progressed and how it ended. Okay, so this deer, I've kind of known about this deer for about three years now. Um, I was getting pictures of him when he was, pr- I figure he was three and a half. He was probably a 145, maybe 150 ish deer. Um, That's a great deer for at three and yeah, a half like, years old. Yeah, like I was, I was looking at him that year where i was like maybe i should hunt him but i decided not to and then last year like i decided i if i saw him because he would have been considerably considerably bigger i was like if i see him again i will go after him and i got pictures of him standing out on the side of the hill through the spotting scope around the 26th of november last year and he was a good mid 160s year where i was like yeah if i get a chance at him i'd for sure chase him but and he was running like after four and a half than last off. year yeah he was four and a half but i figured and he he took off right away he didn't he didn't stick around very long um but he kind of ran a similar pattern the last few years he was always around early early season like i mean he'd be there for the first three four days of september and then he would disappear and he'd come back near end of october and he'd be there for about a week and a half and then he'd disappear again for the rut, which is, I kind of figured he was rutting somewhere else. Yeah. And then usually the last week of the season, he'd be back on that property. And so this year, kind of the same deal. Um, I started throwing cameras out real early. I had them out um, end, of, end of May. Uh, I started getting pictures of him, I'd say early June. And when I got pictures of him already, he was already, like, just a slob of a deer. Um, <laughs> so was this your primary target for a buck, or was, or did you have other ones you were also sort of hoping for? Or were you just holding out for this deer in particular? This deer was my number one. Like, yeah. I basically said at the beginning of the season, I won't shoot another deer unless 
like unless there's a bigger one that pops up. But yeah. I kind of had a very good idea that nothing else bigger would show up because he was the biggest one. Wow. Um, so I had on it's a three quarter section piece. I had I was running 16 cameras on there, trying to get a pattern, trying to figure out where he was going. Um, I had a field figured out where he was feeding and everything, and I even had like a bunch of daytime pictures well into August, and then about the second week of August, he was walking out to the field well into daylight, came across the camera, and then the next picture I got was him running the other way. So the camera spooked him? Well, I don't, no, I don't think it was a camera. I think it was, because he had to cross a road to cross into the field where he was feeding, and I think someone stopped and scared him. I see. And after that, I didn't get a single picture of him again until mid-October. Wow. And that was me moving cameras around all over the place, trying to figure out where he was going. Never saw him again. So, yeah, mid to late October, he started popping up again. And I was like, okay, well, I'm going to start putting some serious effort into him. But it was still, that's that opening week of rifle for elk. And I hadn't got my bull elk yet. So I kind of wanted to put in a few days to try and get an elk. So got my elk, but then got back onto the whitetail as soon as I could. And, um... So I started, I got a blind in there, got some, got a decoy down in the, into the trees down there, started moving cameras around. One weekend where I had my blind set up, decoy set up, everything ready to go, I had to go to Lethbridge to work for a weekend. So I couldn't <laughs> be around. And two days in a row at around 8.05 a.m. And then the second day was think around not or sorry not within a 10 minute span on both days yeah and i was like man and i knew i was home the next night so i or i drove home that night got in there first thing in the morning i figured two days in a row he's got to come a third and i sat that blind for the next 11 days straight (laughs) nothing i didn't see a deer wow not one deer so did did you did you assume in like late in that late September that the deer like completely left the property? Is there some like sanctuary ground, some crown land in the area that he could have like left before he came back and you caught him on that camera for those two days? Uh, well, yeah, sanctuary ground for sure. There's a huge property that's north of it. That's um, it's got to be about two sections, and they do allow like there's a few guys that hunt in there apparently. Uh, my buddy knows a few of them, um, but it's a it's a pretty deep valley with a lot of thick brush in it, and that's kind of where they run off to when something gets them scared. And so it's I think he was just hiding up there. I thought for a while that he was dead until he showed up again, and then so yeah. Quick after, question here: What kind of terrain are you hunting? Uh, this is all. Like, this is the Calgary, well, uh, yeah, Calgary bow zone. Okay, yeah. Um, so it's a lot of farmland. So is this like grazing lease type well. thing? Pardon? Is this like a grazing lease or, or just like... Um, no, it's all private. It's all private, I see. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's all private land. But, um, like, I've lived in the area since I was seven. So yeah, yeah, I know, for sure. I know a lot of the farmers around here. Nice. And stuff. Um... But it's one property that backs onto a huge piece in the bow zone there that just, they, 
I think they allow four guys. Oh, okay. So my question was, was there any worry that anyone else would get on these deer? Oh, yeah. There, there was. And I, I that's the thing. When After he disappeared after that early part of September, I was like, man, maybe someone got him early season. And then he showed up again in October. And then after I had him the two days on camera and I hunted those 11 days, at one point I found a gut pile on the neighbor. Well, it was 30 yards off the property that I was hunting on. Wow. I could see it from the fence line. And I was like, oh, no. I was like, someone someone killed him. Like, that's, a, that's the first thing you think, man. For sure. Oh, yeah. I just, I, it just terror kind of went through my mind. And I was just like, no, no, no. This sucks. Like... And, uh, and then I didn't see him again after that point. Like I, I got pictures of him up until, uh, November 6th and then he disappeared. And it was like two days after that, I found my gut pile and I was like, man, this, this is not good. Like I just felt like crap about it. So I was like, well, I'm going to stick around and hopefully he pops up and I don't know, hopefully I spot him. Hopefully the cameras get him. I had, I figured I had enough cameras to like I had all the major trails through their yeah. end and nothing. So near the end of the season, I was starting to think, well, I know of one or two decent deer around where I might try and hunt. And so the last 10 days, I kind of spent a few days at some other properties and whatnot, but my dad started hunting that property where the big guy was. And, uh, on, I think it was the 26th, of November, he, he comes home and he's like, I just had your monster walk up to like eight yards from me. <laughs> and I was like, what? He's like, yeah, I just had a giant deer come chasing a doe with four bucks on his ass. And he ran up with a doe to, but he like this buck came running at him straight on. And there was a bunch of trees in the line of his shooting. Like he couldn't shoot. Yeah. And so the doe came walk, running up to him, and the buck was right behind it, right behind her. And he's like, they were, the, the doe was four yards, and the buck was eight yards. And he's like, I couldn't shoot. And he's like, that thing is, he's like, it's still alive. And I was like, okay, so is it my giant eight by five that I was looking for? And he's like, I don't know, I don't count points. I was like, what? He's like, no, it was just a giant deer. I was wow. like, okay, but then how do you know it was him? He's like. It was a giant deer. So I was like, okay. So I decided, I'm like, okay, I'm going to come back there. So this is going on 30 days of me hunting there. I'd been hunting there October 28th pretty much every day. Wow. This is now November 26th. And I still hadn't actually put eyes on this deer. And so I hunt there for the next couple days with him. Nothing. I, I, there was one morning I sat with him and we had four or five bucks come running through and, and two or three does. And that was basically all I saw for deer. Yeah. And final day of the season rolls around and I'm like, man, this is like, I'm like, I'm just going to go. I'm just going to go. Like it's the only spot that I feel like there might be a chance. And I already had a good season. Yeah. Basically it was the only deer that I would still want to shoot. Like I had, I've, got a very successful season i got nothing to complain about that's the one deer i would still shoot right now yeah and on the when you get into that last day too you start getting you start doubting yourself too you're like what are the chances that i've hunted 30 days and it happens on the last day and you just start 
you start getting those thoughts in your head that it's just not going to happen, right? But you just got to set yourself up for the best opportunity possible. Yeah, it, that's pretty much exactly it. I just ended up being like, I'm just going to go. I'm going to sit. Probably not going to see anything, but I'm going to enjoy my morning and my last day of the season and just have a good time with it. And then, yeah, so I got in the blind that morning. Didn't see nothing. Until about, oh, it would have been around 8.45, I heard my dad's bow go off. Well, I, I heard a crack. I wasn't sure what it was. Heard a crack, and I heard this buck go burp. I was wow. like, oh, that, uh, that sounded like a little bit like a grunt, but it sounded weird. So I like, And to me, it sounded like it came from behind me. And so where and is, like where is your dad situated in this, in all this? Like, is he, are you facing east, he's facing west? Is he 30 yards from you, 50 yards away from you, 100 yards? Whereabouts are you, like, how, where are you situated? So we were just over the east side of a ridge that runs north-south. Okay. Um, so my dad would have been about 80 yards over the top of the ridge, and then I would have been another... 120 yards further down from him i see and so like we had a prevailing west wind we were basically in line with each other so scent wasn't going to screw us until something got directly between us basically um and i just heard this sound and i thought it came from behind me and i was like man that sounded weird maybe something caught my scent and it just decided to run off or maybe a buck i don't know tripped or something it was just weird yeah. And next thing I know, my dad's like, I shot a buck. And like, he texts me. <laughs> That's it. I shot a buck. A buck. <laughs> yeah. He just, he just says, I shot a buck. Not, I shot a monster, not a, he just says, I shot a buck. I'm like, okay, tell me about the buck. Is it big? He's like, or I said, how big is it? And all he re- responded was, big in capital letters <laughs> yeah i was like so how big is but my dad literally has no idea on scoring he's never scored a deer in his life he's never shot a big deer in his life he just he shoots and in, like he shoots instinctive shoots with fingers um has a little flipper rest on his bow no sights like the bare minimum <laughs> that's crazy and he shoots generally every year he'll shoot the first deer that steps in front of him so it doesn't matter if it's a one-year-old spiker or if it's a three-year-old four-by-four. It's the first year. He just wants to get the meat in the freezer, and he's done with it. He's happy with that. Yeah. And I, it's kind of the way I was raised, and I always kind of hunted that way until I got older, and I just decided I like shooting the bigger, tougher deer to hunt and decided to, like, put more effort into kind of being able to hunt those, right? Well, and we're sort of spoiled in Alberta with that general – general elk and you know general archery bull moose and a lot of zones so if a guy gets an elk or a moose well then you've got a full freezer so then you can be a little more picky with your deer and you turn it into you know more of a game where you're you're chasing the most mature animal you can get yeah for sure like normally my seasons end up being like september i'll go i'll try and find myself a nice mature bull elk yeah if i can't connect on that because our our um, rifle season doesn't open until October 25th here. Oh, that's um, nice. For elk. 
So it's basically like you got archery all the way up to October 25th. So yeah. it's like I'll try and connect on a nice bull for the month of September. After that, basically anything goes. Yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, getting into like the mature herd bull range, that the only time you're going to do that generally or most of the time is going to be September. Yeah, for sure. And so like I've gotten a few bulls that way, but generally once September's over, I just – anything goes for me yeah and then i move on to moose and i'll try and find something and then after that it's anything goes and so like i kind of work my way through deer is always my last one and deer is one thing that i always hold out on until november until that last week of the season and then i might take a younger animal but i really like chasing bigger bigger racks because it's harder yeah without a doubt so and it paid off, man. So so you heard this deer grunt, you heard branches sort of break, and your dad sends you a text saying that it's big. Yeah. <laughs> that's he it, says, that's he, all. Yeah, he just tells me it's big, and I'm like, okay, well, how was your shot? He's like, ah, oh, it wasn't good. It deflected. So he, he said, I got gut, but he was bleeding real bad out of his back leg. So what ended up happening was his arrow deflected off of a branch, which happens with archery yeah, quite sure. often. And I mean, the smallest branch will throw your arrow several so, feet over the course of a few yards. Right? Is your dad sitting in a, in a tree stand or is he sitting in a blind? No, so, he, so generally the way that we hunt, we don't do tree stands, we don't do blinds, we just go and sit. This is actually the first year I ever pulled a blind out. Oh, I see. So he's like full deer. ninja just sitting under a tree with his bow? Yeah, like, we normally just pick some spots with some good, like, upright trees that give good cover. You just stand up in between them, and as long as you're standing still, you're pretty good. Yeah. And so, like, I've never actually hunted out of a... This is the first year I've ever hunted out of a blind, and I kind of feel like I'm never going to do it again because it didn't do it, didn't do me any good this year. Um, I've all... Like, I mean, I've hunted lots of animals, had lots of success on several big animals, too, and... I just feel like the the blind didn't increase or like, just didn't help in any way to me. Yeah. Just made things louder. I had to be loud to get into it. Um, felt like I was going to leave more scent in the field by putting that out there and all the other stuff. And I was just like, I'm just not that confident in the blind. I think the blinds work really good for like bear baits. But I think for deer, I think I'm just going to, continue doing what i've been doing for the last 20 odd years yeah well, so, if, if it works then keep at it yeah exactly so for deer i think i'll just go back to sitting but yeah so he tells me it's a it's a shot that's a little far back wasn't feeling too great about it but he's bleeding hard out of his leg i was like okay good we'll give him lots of time for sure and my dad's like well it's 9 a.m. right now i gotta leave at 10 because i got a pretty important meeting um so can't be here i was like well i've still got my white tail tag i can like i'll just stick around i've got pretty much the day free um i'll just stick around and i'll see what i can come up with maybe he'll just pass out on his on his bed up on the hill and um so around 10 o'clock, my dad's like, okay, I got to go. You want to come up here and I'll show you where the blood trail is and all that. So I go walking up the hill and I can see part of the blood trail just visually without binoculars that like 
out to 60, 70 yards, I can see the the red go, going through the snow. Like, oh, wow. so he, he, was, he was bleeding pretty good then. Um, so yeah, he did, he get, good. did he get the back leg or front? Like, was the deer quartering to him or quartering away, or how did... Uh... So he was quartering two, and he got the back leg. That's what I figured. So quartering two, it would have went low and then right into that back. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and so the deer had his back leg, like his opposite leg from him kind of forward so when he shot it went through the guts and really yes that went makes sense. right through that big muscle on the front there yeah yeah that makes sense yeah so then i i ended up going up there i was like kate i'll just stick around here you go circle way south get around him go up over the hill get to the truck and you can go home and then uh so i sat there for about 30 40 minutes and as he's kind of texting me saying oh as he was crushing the hill he said oh i can see him because as he went over the hill there's a cut line that runs straight north south along the top of the ridge okay so he had to kind of cross the sight line of this deer in order to get to the vehicle and he said i can see him he's bedded down on the fence line and so how far was he at this point that deer he would have been several hundred yards like he just had him just could see him with his binoculars yeah wow and so i was like okay well as long as he's bedded, like, we'll just leave him there. I said, I'll wait another two hours before I go even, like, try and come up there. Yeah. And so he ended up leaving. And about ten minutes later, I see this deer hop the fence to the north and start trotting away. And so what I think is, I think the scent might have rolled over the hill as as my dad got to the vehicle as he was leaving yeah <laughs> and that he and that that buck just decided to be like oh this guy's still here or something's still here and decided to get up and go and so i was like oh crap this thing's still up and moving this is not not the greatest thing and now he's in the neighbor's property and but i like i knew from there's a couple other guys that hunt there and dave said the neighbors are pretty decent with letting you on and stuff so I just decided I'll just run up over the hill. I'll grab the truck, go and talk to them, make sure it's okay to go in and try and recover and possibly have to get another shot in this deer. Yeah. So I went and talked, chatted with him quick. He said, yep, just put axes only. Um, and that's basically, he said, go ahead. So I went back up and I looked at the blood trail and where, he, where this deer had hopped the fence, there was zero blood. Like... Mm -hmm he had this deer had clotted himself up so solid there was nothing wow so how long it, how about how long from when you shot the deer at this point uh probably would have been about two and a half hours so you're creeping up on about 11 o'clock right now yeah it would you, have been around 11 11 30 probably you've got about four and a half hours of light so that clock's ticking down that clock is ticking down and he's got and we're on the last day of the season yeah so the next day we wouldn't be allowed to shoot anymore exactly. even if he was still alive so i was just like and and then we lost blood and i was like man if i'm gonna at this point i can see his tracks in the snow it's hard crusted snow but i can tell which are the fresh tracks in the snow but say a big elk herd comes running through which isn't unheard of through there like, we had a herd of 250 elk yeah. running through there two days before. Wow. If a big elk herd runs through there, I'll never find those tracks again. And this is the buck that you've been following for two or three years already at this point, man. You must have just been a nervous wreck. Yeah, so my thing was, 
I'm just going to go after him. I'm just going to go. I can, I can see the fresh tracks in the hard crusted snow. I know, like I, I, I'm fairly good at tracking and I can follow the pattern of a, of a fresh track fairly easily. I just figured I'm just going to go after him because if he stops bleeding entirely and then something comes ripping across this track, it's gone. I'll never find it again. So I just decided I'm just going to go find him. And so I ended up hopping into the neighbor's fence, into the neighbor's property there, started following the track, made it about, oh, 250 yards. And I started noticing his, his steps were slowing down a little bit, like the, the spread on, on the tracks was narrowing. So I was like, oh, he's slowing down a bit. So I started slowing myself down because I figured if I'm going to bump him in his bed, he might go again, and I, I didn't want to do that. And so I just slowly started coming through, and it's crunchy as hell, and I hate how loud crunchy snow can <laughs> That's be. That's the worst, Matt. <laughs> it's just like they can hear you from, for, like, just from yeah. hundreds of meters, basically. Yeah. And so I was like, man, I just hope, 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 hope that he, that I'm, and so I was trying to pick between the snow spots, like trying to step in the grass spots and like everything was mostly melted away, but there's that hard crust left over, right? Yeah. So I'm just trying to step in grass only. And all of a sudden I come out from behind this thick patch of willow and I look down and there's this walking path that kind of goes through the trees and I can, I just see him turn his head and look at me. And like, all I see is this rack and this, this giant buck laying down and he turns his head and looks at me and I'm like, oh crap. How and I've already away? got my arrow. Hmm? How far away? Uh, 45, probably 45 yards downhill. So you're on top of him. Yeah, I was on top of him above. But the, he turned his head to the right and looked over his shoulder right at me, and I could see his front end trying to pick up. And I just, like, I had a six-inch shooting window about 45 yards downhill. I just drew, settled that pin, and sent it. And I ended up hitting him basically right through the tenderloins and up through, took the top of the heart off and sent it into his front shoulder. <laughs> and he made it three steps and just, poof. Wow down so that was that was a pretty uh in a way i'm like i feel like it was a lucky shot but i know when i settled that pin like i was ready to let that thing go like it was well that's that's the definition of under pressure right oh yeah and it was but when that thing went i saw the little blue light on my knock just going and i was like yes yes we're good that's a good feeling man and a shot like that like you know, you're taking a risk, and there's a lot that could go wrong, but you buried it in the right spot, and it's it's the last day. The hours are clicking down, and, uh, yeah, desperate times call for desperate measures, I guess. But you got her, man. That's awesome. Yeah, like, even even if something would have gone wrong, though, but just another arrow in that thing would have slowed him down more, right? Yeah, it's exactly. Just, it's just, like, go for it, get him, even if it's a bad shot, get another arrow in him. Yeah. Just like I used to guide in the Yukon years ago, and my my thing with my hunters always was shoot until it's down. 
because in the Yukon bush, you can lose anything after 50 yards. Like, it's it'll disappear. Man, and I say that everyone I talk to when it comes to elk and moose, especially elk, because they will fucking go. You know, if you, like, the, the bull I, last bull I shot, I shot him in the shoulder, and he dropped, and I'm like, great, I got him. Started walking up, and he stands up, and then he just beelines, and he goes three, 400 yards. Luckily, yeah. I tracked him, and, and we got him. But, um, you know, I've, I, I know guys who who shot and the bull dropped and then it got back up and they, they are quite positive. They got a good shot, but then they can't find the, the bull for two, three days. And then the wolves and coyotes got it. Right. So yeah, yeah you just got to do what you can. And when you're a deer like this caliber on your last day, if you got that opportunity, like you had, you got to take her. That's no, that, that's something else. What a roller coaster ride of emotions that day though. Right. Like you oh, get in crazy. the stand on your last day, you know, probably not expecting much to happen then your dad messages you says he got a big one and then you find out that it was a bad shot and then your dad sees him and then you can't find blood and it's just up and down hey eh? that's oh yeah it was it was crazy that's awesome man so what did but the deer end up deer, scoring uh he scored just over well i just like rough scored him. i'm by no means a great scorer but i've never really been more than three inches off i had him at 175 and six eighths gross nice yeah so he's a good deer sure yeah no but doubt. i i ended up actually so i just butchered him today actually got him in the freezer but i found three other arrow holes in that deer oh wow two through his back so up just above the spine and found one fresh one from this year because the, the um the scar tissue hadn't even sealed up properly it's still got a it's still gaped out a little bit one in the top of the shoulder and it's just like that just goes to show like what buck fever can do to people because clearly people have been freaking out when they're shooting at this thing so no doubt man that is crazy and that just shows you how tough these animals are right yeah old warrior oh for sure they're i mean the the, uh, the mule deer buck that i shot this year also had two other holes in him one was from my buddy that hit him <laughs> wow. a month before. It's, it's the the bow zone out here can get a little crazy because there's a lot of guys out here and there's a lot of guys that'll take shots that they probably shouldn't. Hail but Mary's. they're like, oh, I see a good deer and they'll yeah. chip a shot, right? Wow, unreal, man. That's that's crazy. And yeah, thanks again for coming on and chatting about this because uh, yeah, no one can tell it better than you did. So that's awesome. So tell us about the rest of your season. How did it start off? What was your first hunt and uh, what critters did you take down this year? Oh, so this year I got, well, first started off with my, I got my antelope draw this year. So down, Oh, nice. Was that a bow hunt or rifle? With the bow, yeah. Nice. Um, so I was down near the border. Um, I spent about 12 days down there trying to get one and it was throughout September. So every couple, well, every Monday to Monday, Tuesday, and sometimes Wednesday, I'd go down and nice. try and go after him. The first part of the season wasn't that eventful as it went on, as you know, the rut picks up down there and it's, it just got real intense for the last two weeks there. Yeah. Um, I got, I had several chances and I had, I think I missed 10 shots and by, and I, it was driving me insane. I couldn't figure out why. Wow. Because right at the beginning of the season, I'd been sighted in, I was dialed out to a hundred with my bow. Like, I mean, 
very, very accurate out to a hundred. Yeah. And I couldn't figure it out. And so it was driving me insane. I didn't have, I was super busy with work and stuff at the same time. And I was like, there's no way there's something wrong with my bow. This is something that I'm doing myself. Yeah. I figured this is like buck fever or whatever is something that I was just screwing up by myself. It's my first time ever hunting antelope. I'd never hunted antelope before. I was like, I'm screwing something up. And so I hunt all the way to the last weekend of the archery season. And I had Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then I took an extra day for the Thursday to hunt. And on the Thursday, I just ended up being like, I'm just going to drive around, and I'm going to look for the first half-decent buck, and I'm going to try and make it happen. Yeah. I just ended up driving up to, uh, there was a nice little kind of point in a field, and there was a buck headed right behind it with two does, and I could drive to basically 200 yards from it. And all wow. I had to do was, I just hopped out of the truck, knocked an arrow, snuck over top, and he was laying 20 yards from me. Wow. And he stood up, and, it, like, it was kind of like the, the type of hunt, like, I'd been hunting antelopes so hard, I hiked, like, <laughs> 75 plus kilometers for that, that entire, like, September already. Yeah. I was doing however many kilometers a day, and it was driving me insane that I couldn't get up to them, and, or, like, there were several chances I had where I did get up to them. Yeah. I missed a 80-inch plus antelope wow. at one point at, like, 20 yards, and my arrow fucking right in front of his chest and I couldn't figure out what the hell happened and I thought that was buck fever that was yeah. like oh you just freaked out and whatever right um, but this one I came up over the hill released my arrow looked like it was perfect it might, like the hole in his hide is literally an inch behind his front leg he was kind of quartered to and I guess it was an inch too far back I ended up just catching liver and gut and he ran 300 yards out into the field and it, I just sat on that point and just watched him for several yeah. hours um, my girlfriend came out and she gave me a hand she kind of kept an eye on him and I circled around him and came up over another little hill from behind him and got another arrow into him but oh nice it, uh, that was kind of a nerve wracking one because that, that was again my last day to hunt antelope Yeah. and I was like I just need to get this done <laughs> For and, sure. What uh, was the priority like down there? Uh, that was a priority eight. So have you hunted uh, antelope before? No, this is my absolute first year, and this is like absolutely do like DIY. I've never hunted it before, and I didn't have anyone to help me either. Yeah. So those those misses at first, you chalk those up as just buck fever. First antelope uh, hunt, first few opportunities. That's what I chalked them up to, but yeah. after I came out of like. After I came back from down south, I went to my buddy's place who, who like, he tunes bows and stuff, yeah. and he's very, um, very well versed in how bows work and all that, and I took a shot at his place, and my, like, my arrows were flying all over the place. Oh, yeah. I couldn't figure out. It was actually the broadhead I was shooting at the time. Oh, okay. Um, and it just was just planing for me. So it was, like, after 20 yards, it would plane and just kind of drift wherever it wanted to. Oh, I see. And so it was, it was just that specific broadhead, and I was like, okay. So I switched back to the heads that I was shooting before, and yeah. started perfect again. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that was my issue. It was just the wrong head, and it was just dragging my arrows wherever it wanted to. So anything after 20 yards, it just 
I see. So that antelope hunt, how was it? Do they get pressured much, or like, what are they like to hunt down there? Um, for the archery, I would say they weren't pressured at all. I think. Well, I mean, until that last week, I didn't see another hunter out there. Wow. Um, but I always hunted like Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, right? Most guys would have been out there on the weekends for the archery season. Um, I was always there Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and kind of later on. So, like, I know for the rifle season, they have their, I think they're Wednesday to Saturday only. Yes. For the archery, it's different down there. Um, but they basically just give you September 1st to the 26th. and That's nice that you got a little more time, because that rifle season's super short. Yeah, for sure. So, it's... I, I had the September 1st and 26th to go, and so I, I kind of spent as much time as I could, and I got lucky enough that my girlfriend's family is from there, literally lives oh, nice. on the on the border of the two zones, oh, the wow. two main zones that I was going to be hunting, so yeah. I was like, this is perfect, so I just got to go down, stay down there, hunt as much as I wanted, and like, it was, it made it very easy for me yeah and so how do you compare um like hunting and stalking them compared to mule deer down there oh they're definitely more skittish than mule deer they are, eh? and they can see a hell of a lot farther yeah like i mean an antelope they'll pick you out from three miles like they can just it's insane you'll wow. see just the white butt turn around and start running before you even see them you'll yeah. just see a white butt running through the field wow um, it's insane how good their eyesight is. Hmm. Um, definitely the best days that I had for antelope were the not super sunny days. Okay. More cloud cover, yeah. especially the grayer, darker days. Those were the more successful on stalking them. Um, they just weren't, I think, I think they just can see sharper in, in the brighter days. For sure. Yeah. Um, so that was kind of the more successful days were definitely the ones where it was darker and gray and cloud covered. Yeah. So, but yeah, so I got, I got that done, that antelope. He's a, I mean, he's a decent antelope. He grows was probably around like 71. Oh, nice. Yeah. So for an archery antelope, but like my goal was 70 inches. That was kind of yeah. what I wanted. And so I'm, ecstatic that I made that happen yeah without a doubt man I'm your your first year hunting them and um and with the bow and and after everything you went through that's uh, there's nothing wrong with that at all that's awesome yeah so I moved on to like elk after that uh but it was kind of late I kind of missed most of the rut okay um because about three days at a time for I missed half the September basically going after antelope, yeah, antelope. which yeah, I normally right. would have spent for for elk. Here. Yeah, um, I ended up getting a missing a shot on a good size six by six. I just I it was odd. I was walking down the hill a little early down to my house, and I, I don't know what happened, but all of a sudden, like I still had about five minutes of legal left, and all of a sudden, I heard of like ten cows comes cruising over the side <laughs> oh, of the wow. hill from like my east comes ripping across the cows cross in front of me at like 10 yards and then they roll over the ridge and go down to the other side and i'm like what the hell hmm. and i'm already trying to knock an arrow because i can shoot a cow as well in out here for like the general tag is good for cow or bull right in the archery season yeah for yeah. the archery season so like if i can shoot a cow right now like 
it, I wouldn't be upset about it. Okay. So I was trying to knock an arrow, get an arrow knocked, and all of a sudden, nice big six by six comes trotting up behind him. Oh wow! And he's kind of the cows had broke off and really tore out of there, and he's kind of trying to figure out where they went. And he comes a little further down from where they came across, and he comes. We've got a truck trail that runs up our hill, up and down, and yeah. he comes out steps into that truck trail and I kind of squeak at him and he stops and looks right at me and I'm like, man, he looks far. I thought that's 60 yards and I didn't have time to range him. This is just like draw and shoot. Yeah. And I figured 60 <laughs> and I, I cut the hairs off the top of his back. Man, I did the exact same thing with the moose on the first day. I put a yeah. stock in him from like 200 yards is what I was at first and I thought I was at about, I ranged him at 80 and then I moved, I thought I only moved 20 yards, but I walked like 40 yards closer. So I was actually at like mid thirties and just yeah. right over his back. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, this literally cut the hairs off it. And then oh, my arrow no. skipped off the, off the truck trail and went flying down the road. And I knew my dad was sitting at the bottom of the truck trail, way at the bottom of the hill. And my arrow went all the way to the bottom. I was like, oh no. Wow. That made me question my shot there for a second i was like man i hope that doesn't go near him yeah for sure <laughs> no kidding because it just kind of skipped and really like it launched it, it was, wow. I, I started using lumnock or nocturnal this year and you can see it oh yeah i could watch that arrow and it just it went like 300 yards down the hill so like, eric oh, released wow. an arrow at at a bull moose on i think it was the second last day or last day of archery season and the the bull actually ducked the arrow and same thing it hit that back yeah. that hump and it, it just cut the hair right off the back and it skimmed right up in the air yeah you so i have a little that. souvenir of a little chunk of skin and hair no blood yeah that's the worst feeling it was just like oh but it ended up like i just once that like after that shot it was that was basically end of the elk rut as it was i saw the activity really die down on yeah. our place here and so i started chasing moose because i got my moose draw this year as well oh nice and so i had a nice nice property over the hill from my place here where i was hunting on and um was chasing a really nice like 46 inch bull kind of deal wow and so there was a couple other guys hunting in there as well and it just kind of was they were kind of screwing with my plan in, in a way a little bit because there was just one guy that was just he would go sit in his blind but he'd walk in like 10 minutes after legal and it was yeah. kind of just like frustrating to like i just watched that bull every time run out of that property oh, wow. every time that guy went walking in there so i was just like yeah and i at one point i messaged a leaseholder about 10 minutes down the road from here and i was like hey i want to come out for the days that are eight and she's like yep just don't shoot my moose and i was like well, what do i want to come there for i was like don't worry about it i'll just i'll figure it out don't like i'm not even gonna bother then she's yeah. like okay oh jeez. and she's someone that i'm familiar with so yeah. it's like i like i treat her more like someone that i know it's not just a landowner where i'm being like you know it's i can talk to her like a real human being so for sure like, yeah don't worry about it. I'll just figure something else out. I'll, I'll, doesn't matter. Yeah. So is this a, an archery only zone and tag or is this a rifle tag or what are you using? Uh, this tag is a draw only for archery and rifle. Oh, I see. Yeah. Yeah. So for, for archery and rifle, it's draw only. It's a priority three or four. Yeah. 
so um, it's a it's a decent zone. Like we've got a decent amount of moose. There's some decent ones running around. Nice. Most guys end up shooting the small ones because yeah. they're not very patient about it. But there's there's some good 45 to 50 inch bulls out here. I killed a 50 inch out here about eight years ago. Nice. Wow. wow. So, um, they're around. It's just they're harder to find. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but so I like I ended up driving up to my house and I was like I, I'm just gonna go behind my house here and I'm gonna call and I made it. 250 yards into the bush if that even I, I crossed my creek and I started calling and within two minutes I had a nice like 30 inch 35 inch bull yeah comes trotting down the trail just not even chugging that much he's just just comes trotting down <laughs> and I'm like oh there's something there and then he came out, he kind of saw something on the trail in front of him, so he slowed down, and then he started to really do his little chug. And uh, he came out to 45 yards, I got full draw, I missed my first shot, I undershot him by half an inch. But I shot and he trotted back. He went 10 yards back, and I just started cow calling to him again, and he stopped and turned around and looked at me. So I kind of worked my way up, kind of doing my, like, doing the bull call to him. Yeah, yeah. And kind of, I had my bull up in the air, just doing your typical fake bull walk. Right? Yeah. And it started getting him going works, a little bit. Man. And then he started chugging, and I'm like, oh, okay, that's good. Yeah. So I, I, made, I closed the distance down to about 20 yards, and then he was just on the other side of a big, thick spruce tree, and he came out. He decided, like, I'm going to come have a better look at you, and he came out to the side. I came to full draw, got a shot off at him at 20 yards. Nice. Like, 10 ringed him. It was great. He ran up another 40 yards. I kept calling to him, and I ended up sneaking around and getting another arrow into him. Perfect. Just as quick as I could. Yeah. And then he went a little ways further and laid down. But my first shot, I thought was 10 ring, ended up actually being a bull like a moose's guts really come far forward they actually come like into the front of their like into the back of the ribs there and so what i thought looked like and i'll show you like i can send you the video like because i got it on video oh nice this shot looks like money wow and i walk up to that arrow and that arrow was totally green oh man and i'm like what but then at least i got the second arrow for sure yeah the second arrow was a hard quartered away but i crushed the lung out of it so that was good and so he ran off a couple hundred yards and i ended up having to put in another arrow and that that finished him but nice it just was that was another stressful moment where i was like man what the <laughs> hell i thought this thing was like gonna lay over dead right here walk up to the arrow and it's green man you've got like three or four crazy five crazy stories from this season oh just wait i got one more <laughs> so I ended up getting that moose. Great. He's a nice young bull. Like, nice. absolutely amazing meat. Not Super far from the house. Yeah, exactly. I just uh, rode the quad out, dragged him to the cooler, hung him in the cooler. It took me about an hour and a half to get him up. Oh, that's moose. perfect. Great. And then after that, I moved on to elk. And so, what, generally, like, I'll chase elk until the end of September. Then I'll go for moose. And then if I haven't gotten an elk yet, then once elk opens for rifle... 
I'll spend a couple days trying to get one with a rifle before I move on to deer. Yeah. And uh, so this is like the third day of the season. Come down out of my driveway, and I'm going to meet up with a buddy, and we're going to go and try and find some elk in the area. Lucky enough, pull out of the driveway. I'm sitting at the bottom of the driveway, look at the ridge directly across from my house, <laughs> and there's 300 elk sitting on the ridge directly across from us. Wow. So we don't have permission there to hunt, but, like, I knew there was guys hunting in there that day, and I knew if they get – when the herd gets pressured on that ridge, their escape route is my property. Wow. It's one of their main escape routes into, like, a big sanctuary place to the south of us. Yeah. Like, I was like, okay, we just got to watch him. So we ended up watching him. One guy goes in there, cranks an elk at like 11 o'clock in the morning. Wow. And the herd, most of the herd goes up over the ridge and away from our place and ends up just tearing out of there. But there were two small groups of about seven cows and a bull each that ended up going the other way. And we ended up just watching them and then they just, bedded down at the bottom of that property and so we ended up just me and my buddy sat there and there was two bulls we both had tags so we're like we're just gonna sit here and watch them see what happens there's still this guy is still on the hill walking back and forth packing his elk out and stuff so at one point we see the the elk that small group bedded at the bottom they're starting to walk up this cut line that's going up the ridge there and this one guy that's been packing his elk out is going back in for his last load. Oh, so you can see all this going on. <laughs> yeah, we're watching this all from the valley, yeah. and, like, we're seeing these elk start walking up the ridge, and this guy's just walking back into the trees, and he's going to literally walk right across their path at, like, wow. 80 yards. And next thing you know, we see him tearing south out of that <laughs> property and ripping down across the bottom of the ridge down into the valley and toward our place. And I'm like, okay, let's go. So we ran down to the corner of my property there, hopped the fence, ran 80 yards into the, like, into the property. We've got a nice clear-cut cut line that we had. Uh, we had all the trees mulched off it a few years ago, so it's like a 500-yard just clear-cut. Nice. And we sit for 30 seconds. We both get our earplugs in because we know we're shooting close by each other and he's got a break on his <laughs> rifle, so I'm like, I don't want to lose my eardrums. And I can hear some cows, or I can hear something breaking brush behind us. I'm like, oh, they're coming, they're coming. First couple of cows start coming across, and I'm like, I had already talked to my buddy. I'm like, I'll shoot the first one. I don't care if it's the bigger one or the smaller one. I'll shoot the first one. Because I, I was shooting, I'm shooting a 30 odd 6 with 155 grain, like, PowerPoints, like the Winchester PowerPoints. Yeah. Browns, but they got knockdown power. Yeah, for sure. He's shooting a 6.5 Creedmoor. Oh, okay. So I was like, I'll shoot the first one. I'll wait for as long as I can until he's like almost out of the cut line, and then I'll shoot because chances are my bullet's going to do more damage than yours will. You can shoot yours as soon as it comes into the cut line, and we can hopefully get a second round into it. Yeah. So first bull comes tearing into the, into the cut line. And he's, like, not even halfway across the cut line. And I hear my buddy's rifle. And I'm like, ah! And he's like, I hit him. I'm like, okay, cool. And so, like, he didn't look that hurt. So I was just like, okay, I'll crack him too. So I shoot. And I crack that bull. And he goes down. Then the second bull comes running around. 
and he gets a shot, and I get I get a shot, and they both we got both bulls down within <laughs> thirty seconds. Well, well, I, I now this is ringing bells because I see your photo on Facebook with the double header. Yeah, yeah, that was that was this year. That was like wow. both both bulls. We put them both down within. Yeah, 30 seconds, yeah. about 20 yards apart from each other. That's incredible, man. Good for yeah. you guys. Right on. That was, that was a lot of fun. That was, that was an intense few seconds, for sure. Yeah, without a doubt. And just the fact that you you seen them from home and, uh, you know, you seen them, you know, you watched them for a few hours and they just came right your way. That uh, couldn't have worked out better. Yeah, exactly. That's awesome. So then on to that was the whitetail then. Yeah. Oh, actually, I forgot a mule deer. Oh yeah. Got a nice mule deer too. Yeah. That that was mule deer was late September. Okay. It ended up was driving from one of my from my house to out heading to a property, actually to the property. I was actually heading out to go and see if I could find the whitetail. Okay. Um, and I was just driving by a property and ended up glassing up on the hill on the way because I knew that place held some decent mule deer. Yeah. And it was just glassing up on the way. We had ten centimeters of fresh like thick snow that morning and you know, I just spotted one deer up on the ridge so I drove around and glassed him up and I was like holy crap and this is another deer that I've been after with my buddy for a few years as well oh wow and I was like holy crap he's, he's here like he, he this is the first time I've seen him here all season so yeah. I, like I ended up I went up around the ridge came up over top of him I stalked to like six yards from him. He was just feeding right in front of me, wow. and like facing me dead on. And I, I was very surprised that he actually couldn't see me because like his face was down in the brush, but he was facing me dead on at like six yards, and I was full draw already. I was like, just turn your head. Like I was just waiting for him to turn his head to feed a little bit left or right, and I yeah. would have been able to because all I could see was antlers covering the very front portion of his shoulder. And then at one point he just turned his head and I just sent it right down the front of the shoulder and just like lengthways down his body basically. Wow, like, at six yards. <laughs> yeah, so that was that was that was a pretty intense one. I was like, holy crap! I can't believe I actually like got this close to him. Yeah. So can you hunt mule deer? Eat? Is this a general archery or is this a? Uh, yeah, it's a general archery. It's a it's the bow zone. Like everything in the bow zone, because I I basically I live five minutes outside of the calgary bow zone oh, i see yeah so all of my general stuff like mule deer i can hunt every year moose i can hunt every year nice um because it, it's all general in that zone yeah um but my moose was this year in the three like across the road there yeah um and then yeah it was just i had a good year it was, it was yeah, a lot no of fun dome, i that's awesome right on right on um and the mule deer was a nice one too eh? yeah he's a big like he's a big four on the right huge three on the left it just he i think he got hit by a car or something that oh was okay um last year he was the same thing big four on the right and then he yeah. had kind of a crab cloth set four on the left yeah it was so um and, and he was living on a property that he was crossing a, a like an 80 kilometer an hour highway quite often oh wow so i was thinking maybe he got bumped off a car hood or something at one point because two years before that he was just a straight typical four by four oh interesting and so i know with deer injuries 
they get injured on the right quite often, like on the right hind leg quite often. The next year, the left antler will grow odd or short or. Yeah, I, I've yeah I've read into that a little bit. It's 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 crazy how that works. Yeah, so it's normally the opposite side of the body. So yeah. If the right side gets hurt, the left antler will grow something wonky or whatever. So. Yeah. Um, but yeah, when I when I butchered him up, he my buddy had shot him early September through the top of the back again. It's crazy how many top of the back deer that I've found in the last few years, actually. Top of the back anything, man. Like, the last elk I shot, he had, we found two bullets in his, like, high shoulder. And, uh, you know, once you get sort of a third way up on these animals, it's almost no man's land. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, whether it's moose or elk or mule deer or whitetail, um, you know, they're, they're tough animals. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Like the one, the one bull that we got here, um, I found, I pulled a, I don't know, 243 or like a smaller caliber rifle bullet out of his shoulder. Yeah. And that had been in there for, I figured, must have been the year because there was no wound track around it, no blood, no nothing. And it had only been three days into the season. So, um, but that was just entirely healed up inside of it. Was it covered in like a big coat of pus basically in its own? No, not at all. No. Like the weird thing about this was like, I even found like, yeah, it was strange because it's like three days into the season. And I even found the old, like, wound track. Like, I could push my fingers through the muscle. Okay. And then I found found the bullet behind it, and the bullet had oxidized, so, like, the, the copper on it had kind of started to go green. Oh, interesting. It was, it was odd. Like, I was like, there's... Because I thought it was my buddy's bullet from that first shot. Yeah, I know but that would have been out, a year he had actually before. And he hit the tree behind it, and I just ended up shooting shooting him through the neck, and then I just found a random bullet. Yeah. Shoulder. Wow. Yeah, and, and yeah, like the one we found that we pulled out, it uh, like we seen the scar in the hide, and um, it was just like a, a big sack of pus, basically. And we cut into it, and and it was it was the bullet, and, and the guy that actually helped me get the elk out. He's like, man, I'm sure I shot at this bull at like 500 yards, the opening of rifle season, and I got it in like mid-October. And uh, I sent him a photo of the bullet when uh, we pulled it out, and he said, man, that's the bull. <laughs> well, I got him. So. <laughs> yeah, I've, I, I mean, I've pulled lots of broadheads, lots of bullets out of, out of animals out here. Yeah, it's, wow. It's crazy how tough these animals can be, especially elk. Like, I've pulled the most out of elk, I would say. Yeah. I've never shot a big, like, I've shot two, like, 330-plus bulls. Those are big bulls, man. And I've pulled two broadheads out of both of them. Wow. Where were the broadheads? Uh, one was top of the shoulder. One was in the back. I found one in its back leg. Wow. Uh, I can't remember where the fourth one was. Yeah. I think that was more just, like, the fourth one, I think, was just more of a blade. Yeah stuck somewhere in a muscle kind of deal yeah it it happens a lot it's crazy how well that just goes right back to your point earlier where you just gotta these elk and moose and you know from the yukon you just gotta keep shooting to let things down like your moose right you put three four arrows in it um and you just gotta do it because you're going to either you know if, if it was a lethal shot and that animal can run 
And if you can't put another shot or two in it, it might just keep going and going. And then when it does die, it's so far that you can't even find it. Yeah, um, exactly. But, um, yeah, like, the, and the last, I got a moose. I didn't get one this year, man. I Opening day, I like I said, I shot high. I went right over one. Uh, it wasn't, I think, 10 days later, and I shot super high on one. I don't know what the hell happened, and I didn't have another chance after that. But I got one last year, and he was coming in. And I got him quartering two, and it was actually good. I got one of his lungs, and I seen him bed down. I'm in a tree stand, and I seen him bed down only 30 yards from me. But there was a bunch of willows and branches in between us, so I couldn't get another shot in him. And, you know, when when you release that air, when you see that animal, your heart's just pumping. And, and you, me personally, you don't think straight. <laughs> I sat oh, no, in that stand for... to react more. Than oh, man. I sat in that stand for 25 minutes and it felt like four hours. And that <laughs> bull was still there. And I'm like, you know, I'm going to climb down and I'm going to sneak in on this bull. And as soon as I climb down from the stand, I step on a branch and he's up and he's gone. So oh, I just backed out of there, went back like four or five hours later, no blood, nothing. He totally just filled up internally. So there was like no blood and I just started following deer trails and I actually walked up on him and um, he didn't have the energy to stand up, but he was alive. So I put another arrow in him and um, yeah, you just, you can't take any chances, man. If, if you got a chance at another shot, you got to take it when it comes to elk and moose. Yeah, I talked to I talked to another guy who shot a, about a 360 inch bull last year and he put three bullets in that bull and he, and he was pissed at himself because he said he ruined one of the front quarters, but he killed the bull and he, and he got the bull. So this year, um, he got a shot at a good bull, made what he thought was a perfect shot and he just let it be. He let the bull run off and he's like, we're going to find him, you know, hundred yards away, 200 yards away, whatever it is. Um, and they followed that bull for three, 400 yards. They bumped him out of his bed. Then it got dark and they couldn't find him till three hours later. And, and at that point the wolves had got to him. So oh, yeah. he's like, man, that's it. You know, whether you waste a little meat or not, you gotta just, you gotta keep shooting till those things are down because, uh, yeah, they are tough. Oh, for sure. Yeah. So I wanted to ask a question. You mentioned that you were using a decoy during uh, your whitetail season. Have you had good success with decoys? No. No. So this was the first year. So we're I'm up here in, in Slave Lake. So we're hunting. It's all crown, just heavy timber, bush as far as you can see. The yep. only clearings you're going to have are, you know, cut blocks and cut lines and stuff like that. So my sort of plan this year was to hunt cut blocks, hunt cut lines, pull something out into the open. Um, you know, to get a good shot on it and to get it on film. It's tough to film when you're hunting real thick bush, um, especially if you're solo filming, um, whether it's bow or rifle, it's tough. So my plan was to be in a blind or tree stand and pull something out. So I thought I'd try a decoy. And I got one of those Montana decoys because I was hiking quite a ways back. I could fit it in my backpack. And I had a few deer interact with it. Like they'd see it and they'd come out and they'd be curious um, and, and I th it seemed to work all right, but I was curious um, if you had much success with it. So this isn't yeah. something that you always use? You just sort of tried it this year? Yeah, I was more something that I was trying this year. And, like, the thing is where this whitetail was, was running around, I was basically hunting his travel corridors. I wasn't hunting his feeding grounds because his okay. feeding grounds were on the neighbor's properties every time. Yeah. I feel like if a decoy would have been on the edge of a field kind of deal where he would have hopped out, seen the deer, probably would have come over, like, would have seen the decoy, probably would have come over, sniffed it out. Yeah. 
trying to figure something out. Yeah. Most of what I was hunting was travel corridors and mostly forests. Like I wasn't really hunting him out in the open, like where okay, my yeah. dad ended up shooting him was right on one of the main trails through that forest there. Um, and basically all I was hoping for was for a deer to be cruising through, stop, look at it, decide to come check it out. And, but it wasn't really like an out in the open thing. It was like, if they came cruising down that trail, yeah. they would have seen that decoy, but other, otherwise they probably weren't going to. I see. Cause like most deer, when they see things, they, See it based on movement, right? Yeah. So it's like if you got a standstill decoy that never moves, chances are that deer is just gonna walk right by it and never actually notice it. For sure. Yeah. So, so yeah. for me, it was just more like I was using it to hopefully catch something's attention if it came right to that point. It wasn't to draw him in from a couple hundred yards away, kind of deal, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, I so get I was, you. Yeah, I was probably not using it at the most ideal point. But I was kind of trying to pull out all the stops for this deer. Yeah, no, without a doubt, man. You got so, to at that point. Like, these these big old bucks, uh, and not even that old, but just big antler deer, they, they, they're something special. They know how to survive. And it is very, very, very tough, nearly impossible to pattern them during the rut because they're just all over the place. Um, yeah, for sure. you know, but you can catch them, you know, sort of in the tail end of that rut, like you guys did there, um, or beforehand, like I've always found like patterning deer. That's what's so nice about archery season around here. And I'm sure it's the same there is they're still in their summer patterns, right? In that first week of archery season in August and you can pattern them pretty good. Um, but it seems like as soon as they lose that velvet, you lose them for like, you know, a few weeks at least is what I've noticed. And then you'll catch them a few times in the rut. But, uh, yeah, the big deer, they are, are very unpredictable. They're tough to, uh, tough to, tough to figure out. So yeah, like you said, you just got to pull out all the stops and cross your fingers and hope for the best. Yeah. So like, I kind of knew, well, kind of figured he was coming back for the end of the season. That was the same pattern he'd run for the last few years. So I was like, he's gone. Well, I mean, early, no, or after the sixth there, I was like, man, he's dead. Yeah. But if he's not, he'll be back the last week. Yeah. <laughs> and then my dad awesome. comes back and tells me, yep, he's here. And I'm like, oh, my God. Wow. Uh, well, you got him, man. And so do you have any other big ones on the radar for next year? Uh, On the radar for next year, there was, a, well, the one other deer that I was kind of chasing around, um, who's on it's kind of like a lease property um it, it's a strange property you got to book time and stuff in there i managed to get a decent amount of time in there but he's probably he was a good he, like he probably would have been a 170 this year already nice yeah it's just like i don't get as much time to hunt in there and like they don't allow trail cameras or tree stands or, or oh like, i see no nothing yeah. so it's like basically you got to go in blind and you're I can't go and do any preseason scouting in there because they book all their days out and you're not allowed to be in there beforehand or anything like that. So it's just like, I got to go in blind for whatever set days that I get. But yeah. the one that was in there this year, he would have been in that 170 range as well. And I know wow. he survived the season because I knew a guy across the road hunting him as well. I see. Um, so hopefully he's around next year. I'd love to chase him. There's, there's a couple deer. There's always big elk around that I'd, that I chase. Yeah. Um, I mean, I generally try to get one 
good one on the ground every year. Yeah. And then I just kind of put meat in the freezer, so. For sure. Yeah. Right on, man. Well, fantastic. Yeah, thanks so much again for sharing it with us. We uh, appreciate it big time, and, uh, yeah, no, I'm glad to have you on. Cool, man. Thanks a lot. I, I enjoyed the chat here. Awesome. Okay, we'll talk to you later. Thanks so much. For sure, man. Thanks. Bye. There we go. Well, thank you to Bjorn for coming on to the podcast today. That was uh, that was great for him to share his story and his, his entire hunting season. <laughs> yeah, honestly, he had a lot to tell, man. He's had quite the season. He put our season to shame, for sure. <laughs> Without a doubt. You know, and it just shows you, though, like, how how much determination you have to have to be a successful bow hunter. Yeah, oh, absolutely. And, and you yeah. know, luck. Yeah, for sure. You know, there's definitely some luck involved in everybody's success. Yeah, and you can't quit, man. You miss no. once, twice, three, ten times. You got to keep on going. Yeah. 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 You got to be out there for it to happen, and then, you know, you got to want it to happen, yeah. make the right decisions to make it happen. For sure. Yeah, no, and uh, yeah, it's something else. He filled all of his tags pretty freaking cool. And uh, yeah, so, you know, my most memorable, you know, point of this hunting season um, I was thinking of it the other day and it's, it's really tough to pinpoint one thing, but, uh, you know, the action that we had with moose this year was just incredible. Oh yeah. You know, and, yep. and I hadn't, I hadn't experienced moose up close and personal like that really ever before. You know, we had a few counters in previous years, um, but I never had the opportunity to actually shoot one. You know, it was always after the season or I didn't have a tag or whatever. Um, but having a tag in your pocket and seeing those bulls, putting a stock on them or you calling one out and coming right to us, that was absolutely incredible. And, and knowing that, hey, man, this is it. I got a tag. I can make it happen. And even though it didn't happen, it's uh, quite the feeling. And, and so you experienced that yeah. with your moose. Yeah. Yeah. It's the first first time I've ever pulled the trigger on a moose. Yeah. Um you know, at all. And, and that was a tough one. Cause you know, even in the moment I felt like everything, everything went right. Yeah. And that moose just stood there and I was waiting for it to do the old wobble and tip over. And he just stood there and kept standing there and looking at us. And, and then he just sort of trotted off and, and then, you know, we found the little chunk of hair and, and watched the video and confirmed that there was, there was no, you know, no impact to the the body at yeah. all with the arrow, and it's just heartbreaking. It's a nice thing about filming, though, right? Like if we weren't filming, we would never know. Um, and the thing is, you did do everything right. Oh, the shot felt perfect. You know, we went frame by frame with the video. The arrow was placed perfectly. Yeah. So that moose jumped the string and ducked about uh, ten inches, probably, because you you would have hit. Right about dead center. As high as you'd want to hit on a moose is where I was aiming. Yeah. Because I had to shoot over some willows and some grass. Mm -hmm. And I didn't want to shoot through them. Like, it was pretty thin, but I didn't want to shoot through them, so I aimed for the top of them. Yeah. And, uh, and yeah, just if I was aiming low, maybe right for the bottom of the heart, anticipating him ducking. He was looking right at you when you were really He center, was. Right? Yeah. And, uh, but there was just, you know, I was above him. I was kind of behind a log pile. And so if I had gone any further, I would have been below him and then uh, I wouldn't have been able to see through the through the brush and through the grass to shoot. So yeah. I had to I had to shoot basically where I was and you know, I just settled in, drew back, he looked at me and I figured, you know, everything feels right. Let's yeah. just make it happen. And 
we were a split fraction of a second too slow with with the arrow yeah yeah so and what would you say for yourself like you had some incredible elk encounters yeah Um, elk was crazy this year um and sometimes the grind of even like your moose hunting the grind of just hunting your ass off not seeing anything that's but you know what and that was basically the that's the the story of my season this year you know hunting my ass off and not not really seeing a whole lot um i was out there a lot of days this season for every animal and it just it's just like few and far between encounters um i had lots of Lots of encounters early on with whitetails, small bucks. Um, one very decent buck when I was elk hunting. I actually had like three different shooting opportunities at him. And he just didn't like stop in a window or he, um, you know, started trotting when I could shoot him and then started walking when he was out of range. And I uh, had three different encounters with the same full velvet buck. There's probably 160 wow That's and incredible, uh man. in two days and so I'd, you were in a tree stand or blind first time was in a tree stand oh, okay um he was with a smaller buck this was like you know first couple days of elk elk season and i was hunting my private property my family's property and uh yeah i sat in the tree stand for an evening it was really windy these two bucks came in a little one walked right into the shooting lane stood in them milled around for 20 30 minutes Big one skirted around, and I got plenty of good footage of him, but wow. no shooting opportunity. Uh, so the next morning, I was camping there. Next morning, I go out, and I'm sitting for elk. And uh, these same two deer, totally different side of the property, about three miles away, same two deer walk out into the clearing while I'm sitting there calling for elk. And uh, I'm like, okay, I'm going to like, I'm gonna try and shoot this buck. They're just walking right towards me, and I'm just sitting under a tree. Wow. And then uh, a small, like, year-and-a-half-year-old black bear. And he was, uh, you know, nice cinnamon phase, but just a tiny little bear. He comes flying out of the bush behind me, like he can smell me or something. He's being uh, investigating. And he comes flying out of the bush behind me and scares the deer away. And they're at, like, 35 (laughs) yards. I was waiting for them to, like, turn their head. I have my bow arrow knocked. Yeah. All on film. And this little bear jumps out behind me and scares him away. And then the next, uh, that same evening, I was, uh, I had elk, cow elk come in and these two bucks crossed right behind them. Wow. And I could have shot the little guy every single situation, but the big guy just never gave me an opportunity. So, you know, I had lots of, I had lots of, as far as my season goes, lots of great, great encounters, experience, but probably my most memorable hunt would have to been like the one hunt that I'd was successful with somebody else and that would have been katie's mule deer for sure right i did yeah probably more hunting more hunting than i've ever done alone yeah just because nobody else has the time you know make schedules work and uh, a lot of great moments but the best moments are you know when you share them with for somebody sure. and, and you get uh, down and for her to do it and me to, you know that goes back to my guiding sort of nature is yeah. it's always better sweeter for me when somebody else gets it and i'm yeah, there for sure and uh so that was you know that was a great hunt yeah and you guys were hunting sort of like a new area right totally new different terrain and and a critter that you guys haven't hunted before together yeah something you know we've never really put our minds to to chase always you know always sort of have a tag in your pocket kind of an opportune thing but never really focused on it yeah and uh and just everything went right yeah that's awesome nothing went wrong so 
it was that that's definitely the moment for this year yeah right on guys and again we want to hear your most memorable moment in the outdoors with friends or family from this hunting season send us a photo and send us a little write-up we're going to choose one and talk about it on the next podcast so this contest is a lot similar to the last one if you've submitted a story already from the last contest just resubmit it if you want and again, we want something, we want a story and a picture of your most memorable moment in the outdoors with your friends and or family. Um, you're going to win a multi-pack of our non-typical nation seasoning and some non-typical nation swag. We're going to let you pick out what you want, and then we're going to give you a non-typical nation store credit of $80. That's a hell of a Christmas gift. For sure, yeah. And um, waste no time, guys. Send it in right now, and on the next podcast, we will announce the winner. So yeah yeah no incredible season man you know a lot of a lot of ups a lot of downs um we experienced some some crazy things together and uh, you know individually on our own as well um and uh, i can't wait until next fall it's gonna oh. be a blast we got lots in between we but, got lots uh, in between and but, i keep glossing over it but talking yeah and we kind of we skipping kinda, we kind of do that right between, yeah you know, it gets into the winter time, and and we're it, it doesn't take long before we're talking about bear hunting and, and yeah. everything else. But uh, there's just something about the month of September. Yeah, that September month that just gets everybody's blood hot. September and, and November. Yeah, yeah. But uh, you know, screaming bulls and uh, sheep. Yeah. And velvet. Yeah. And uh, a lot to look forward to. Just it's just the craziest craziest time of year and the most fun, and it's over too quick. Oh man, it flies by. But you know what? Like you said, we got a lot in between. There's ice fishing here. We've got some predator hunting. We've got bear season right after ice fishing season. And uh, yeah, so it's going to be an action pack next few months as well. You know, I think the only really downtime usually is uh, is March and April. Yeah. You know, you're ice fishing February 1st, a little bit of March, and then the ice is is starting to thin out and then you get into April, but then you're already getting ramped up for bear season. Well, and that's when our, you know, our terrain gets so awful. Yeah. In that sort of five week span where you can't really go anywhere. And anyway. super unpredictable too, because it might totally melt like 80% melt. And then you might get a straight on snowstorm and minus 15 for four days in or it might slowly melt and be fine. The roads are nice and dry because they're still frozen. And then one day Everything. it's warm overnight <laughs> and there's a foot of mud. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. You can't get anywhere. That's, I, I find that's that April season sort of flies by because yeah. it's, it's, well, me and you have said this before. It's like an, oh shit, we're running out of time to get ready sort of That's month. how August always is for Like me. it's, we got a lot in the winter. We're always thinking we got lots of time to get ready for bear season. Plenty of time to fix things. Plenty of time to get everything tightened up, get bait. And then it's like, boom, we're yeah. two weeks away and we don't have baits out yet. Yeah. You know, we got to get on it. So, yeah. And we, we talked a bit about what we're going to do different uh, come bear season this year, but uh, we'll chat about that on another podcast. We got a lot to talk about. When yeah. it comes so to you do season, have, so. we do have some stuff coming up right away though, right? So you're going on a predator hunt? Yeah. I'm going to go hunt cougar for the first time ever. And I cannot wait. Um, probably when this podcast is released within a few days after I'll be, uh, hunting cats with a houndsman, a friend of mine, and uh, we're going to chase them for about four or five days. So time is a little bit limited, um, but conditions are supposed to be good. Like right now we're at the 10th, 
Um, it's been very mild the last week. You know, where we are here in Slave Lake, it's been like plus five, plus September three, weather. plus seven for a week straight. Yeah. Today it cooled down a little bit, but still not much. And so where we are going hunting, conditions have been very similar. It's been mild. Um, now, early next week, temperatures are supposed to drop and we're supposed to get snow. And I'll be hunting three days after that. So there's going to be a good bit of fresh snow. Temperatures are going to be around that minus 15, minus 12, minus 20. So conditions are going to be great because yeah. it's going from, from mild to quite cold and you get that fresh snow we get fresh snow and that's what we want right yeah. so um i'm pumped right up um you know the guy i'm going with he's super excited he's a cat hunting fanatic and uh yeah i can't wait man that's I, gonna be awesome yeah i can't it's wait gonna it's gonna awesome. be a lot of fun and then after that it's it's family time it's christmas time right. so right well i'm gonna be yeah. chasing some real fancy looking fish this weekend you're going you're going, going uh going for brookies i think yeah we're going for brookies yeah. nice yeah. awesome that's yeah, uh so. and charlie charlie reed and uh you know charlie's been on the last few podcasts he's uh he caught wind of this little lake just outside of town here and i guess we got a quad or skidoo in a little ways and uh you know, we're going to be fishing about six feet of water. Has he fished that lake before? I don't think... Because he caught a really nice brookie that Dave mounted for him six or seven years ago. I don't believe... I could be completely wrong, but I don't think either one of us have, have fished that lake. I definitely okay. haven't. Um, but I don't know if Charlie's been in there or sort of knows that area. That's kind of where he works. So we're going to... Yeah, we're going to get in there and uh, and you know, set up a tent and get our cameras going and hopefully slay some, some trout. That's awesome. This is when you want to get on those trout is early December. Yep. Like I've been following some fishing fanatics on Facebook here and guys are just slaying the trout right now and big ones too. Um, you know, cause, cause fish definitely just like wildlife after getting pressured for a month, you know, two months, it gets, the bite definitely gets tougher, more yep. fish removed. Right um well there's hot feeding seasons right without and, a doubt uh, that's it's yeah. right now so without a doubt um yeah these you know we've seen some photos of this particular lake some guys were there a few weeks ago yeah. or a week ago and there's some <laughs> hefty <seen> hefty <laughs> fish coming out of there and you know i've never i've i've fished rainbows quite a bit okay and i would consider myself at least a slave lake professional like i pretty much always find fish in this particular lake yeah but i've never really ventured out to fish anything else so yeah uh, i'm i'm excited to catch these so these um have you guys talked fish. about you know what you're using for for hooks technique and um i've sort of bugged charlie a little bit but uh i'm definitely going to be asking a ton of questions while we're out there i think he sort of has an idea of what we're what we should be doing and yeah yeah, hopefully we get on the fish. Yeah, I've always had, when I've been ice fishing for, for I've never ice fished for brookies, but for rainbows, um, what I actually used was just a small jig head with with uh, a shrimp. Yeah. Like literally the frozen raw shrimp you buy at Sobeys. Yeah, and that's what Charlie mentioned. Like he just said small hooks and, you know, a little bit of bait. And, yeah. You know, it's just going to be finding the right ingredient and hopefully we just slam them. Yeah. And awesome. so, you know, we're thinking, we were talking a little bit uh, this evening about, you know, I asked him how deep or you think we're going to be fishing. He said, well, probably about six feet of water. So then, you know, I I thought it'd be a great idea to to have a sight fishing hole you know, I've never done that before because yeah. typically in this lake, you know, we're fishing 20, 25, yeah, 30 deep. feet of water. Yeah. Um, 
So I think it'd be really cool to be be able to fish, you know, in an open hole. Of course, when we leave, we're going to mark it and everything like you're supposed to do. But uh, yeah, if we're going to go out there, I'd like to... I like to go oh, all yeah. in, right? Are you guys going for the day or staying the night two days? Um, I think we're just going for the day, just on yeah. Sunday. I think he's nice. got uh, he's gonna go cut down a Christmas tree on Saturday oh, or I something, see. and I'm gonna try and <laughs> I'm gonna try and get a wolf bait out on Saturday. So we're gonna see. Yeah, well, like you said, man, you know, I've come to the realization that when you have time to do something, you gotta freaking do it. Just because, like you said, go. right? We always we're in August and we're we're kicking ourselves because we aren't ready for the fall hunting season or yeah. we're in mid-April and we're wishing we would have had our baits out two weeks earlier, right? So, yeah, man, it's and it's time, right? Like, we're in middle of December if you got a day and you, you've you got a fair amount of bait, too, to get out there. So. I've got quite a, bit of, quite a bit of bait. So are you setting up a blind or are you just setting up a bait for now or what are you I'm going to wait on setting up a blind. You know, I'm, I'll probably have a position sort of situated. I might build just something out of what's there depending on you know i'm gonna look for some newer spots um i have two spots in mind ideally i'd like to have three baits sort of in the area so i can easily fill all of them um but i would like to you know get on a couple different groups of wolves yeah so we had a client who over the years we've done like 11 wolves for this guy we haven't in the last couple of years because he moved away but what he would typically do is he would set up his baits on streams and rivers. Yeah. And so he would be elevated up high, right? And no blind, nothing, but he's elevated up high. So these wolves are down, you know, 100 feet below him, and they aren't looking up. They're just looking at eye level, right? Well, so ideally you want to be above them. Yeah. Um, They use the rivers and creeks to travel. travel. That's a travel route, yeah. I have a bait site that I've used for the last three years and always wolves on it okay always i've never put a blind on it never had the intention of sitting on it just sort of um you know a camera trap yeah and i really always last year i focused on always having that bait full always having some sort of meat there and uh there was wolves on it you know all day long yeah um just about every day and they just it was right on the creek bank they just come up off the creek feed come back down travel through Mm -hmm. and uh that's the that's that's the ideal situation you want to be about 150 200 200 yards away yeah. above them you want your setup to be in a position where you don't have to like travel through the bait to no. get to it yeah because uh you know it's not it's like a different strategy than my strategy for bears like when i'm baiting bears i sort of want the bears to know that i was just there i filled it up mm-hmm and then I'm going to sit, they're not going to, you know, I don't want them to know that I'm sitting, but I want them to know that that's fresh bait there where yeah, wolves. They're a pack animal, right? So you got to fool the whole pack. And I want to bait that the day before. Yeah. Let them, even if they're going to feed on it, you know, there's, you, you bait enough that they're not going to empty you out overnight. Yeah. And then you, you sneak in there the next day. And so they you don't have your bait far enough away that you can get in there without spooking them at all. You yeah. don't have to cross paths with them. Nothing. And you just yeah. you just crawl in there and you sit and yeah, you know that'd be I am something gonna... else, man. If you get a wolf this year and get it on film, and oh, absolutely, kill one. Yeah, so I'm you know I'm gonna have a couple different tactics. I might get out and do some trapping. I know uh, I've been bugging John to take me out. So in the new yeah. year, I'm gonna go out and and go you know see how the pref- professional does it. Yeah, he knows what he's doing, man. That guy kills a lot of wolves. And then uh, you know hopefully get get on a wolf this year, whether it's I shoot one or or even trap one this year 
uh, yeah, journey journey to the first wolf. Yeah. And try and get on one this year. And then, you know, do as much fishing as I can in between. Yeah. Right on, right on, man. Well, that was a, that was a fun podcast. And this one, again, went a lot longer than I'd expected. Oh, that's good. You know, um, yeah, it was great having... Uh, having our guest on there and uh and chatting hunting for another 100 minutes so thanks again guys for listening we greatly appreciate it and tune in the next you know 10 days or so for another podcast and remember um enter that giveaway Um, we're giving away a multi-pack of seasoning and an ntn store credit of 80 dollars christmas came early from ntn